The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are now going to uh, turn to God's Word. We're going to be in Ephesians 3 tonight if you have your Bible with you. Um, Before we start digging into Ephesians 3, let me just pray for us. Um, As many of you know, we spent the afternoon in the urgent care, so... I'm kind of like sliding into home plate here. We'll see what God has for us. Father, we are grateful for you giving us your word. We are grateful for your word that guides us and feeds us. Father, we ask that you would give us life by your word tonight because we love you and we love to hear more about you. Not just to hear about you, but to know you and experience you. So God, as we come to you tonight, Father, would you... Give us your spirit that we would, I pray for everybody here, that we would taste and see that you are good and know you and experience you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as you guys know, we just basically finished up our series in the Gospel of Luke, looking at all these individual encounters between Jesus and individuals. What, is, what do they teach about Jesus? Who do they tell us about who Jesus is? And as I was thinking about what was next, this actually was not on my grand scheme for the preaching calendar for the year. I felt, quite simply, that God was prompting me to address my own prayerlessness in my life, and I hope encourage us as a church to grow in the category of prayer because I am so desperately in need of Jesus, and I think that while it is great for us to build a church together that loves each other and loves our neighbors. I think that's what God's calling us to do. I think that's what God is doing. I don't really want to make disciples who don't know God. Like I want us to be disciples who know God and experience him. And so I want us to int- intimately experience God and know him. And that is where this series is coming from. It's not coming out of a, se- a sense of correction for, man, all you guys need to start praying. <laughs> Shame on you. And when we talk about the subject of prayer, I know that everybody immediately just feels like this heap of guilt of like, man, I don't pray enough. My prayer life stinks. God knows that. I know that. You know that. We all know that. Our prayer life stinks, and we're coming to God. God, please help us, and thankfully, God is eager to help us. But, so, I'm calling this series, just because I'm, I'm very impressed by my series title, Prayer Grabbing God's Face. And the reason I'm calling it Prayer Grabbing God's Face, Isaiah 64, verse 7 Pray, it is God addressing the nation of Israel, and it's a bit of a, a, a judgment upon them. There is no one who calls upon my name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us melt in the hand of our iniquity. So it's a bit of a negative statement. Here are all these people. They aren't pursuing God. They aren't taking hold of God, and they aren't finding God's face. I think in the gospel, God makes himself clearly available to us, and he shows us his face. And so I just, the way we grab a hold of God, the way we get a hold of God and know him is in, in prayer, so we're grabbing God's face in prayer. It seems a bit of an evocative image, but I think we're going to see that in this passage tonight. Um, so that is why we are looking at Ephesians 3, um, because this is a simple idea. We, we just want, we want to know God, we want to experience him, and I think he gives us prayer, and thankfully, Prayer is incredibly free. So we're going to be looking at, we're going to be doing this for the next few weeks. Um, and there may be a break in the order of the sermons because 
Um, there might be a baby that arrives. <laughs> so we're in this together. Um, but we're going to be looking at knowing God personally. So that's why we're picking up at Ephesians 3. And so let me just kind of give you a bit of a setup. This is one of Paul's most dense letters. And the whole point of the letter is to say, God is great. God loves sinners. God saves sinners. God has saved sinners in Jesus. You're a sinner. He saved you in Jesus. And now he ends this whole section, picking up in verse 14. Paul is saying, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, we have here at the end of this section, this first major block of Ephesians, this prayer of Paul, and I just want us to look at this prayer of Paul to learn, learn about prayer. I mean, it seems pretty obvious, like we could go to any passage that like teaches us about prayer, but here we have somebody actually praying, and we're just going to learn from their prayer. We're going to learn with Paul what does it mean to pray, and I think what we're seeing in Paul's prayer is just simply prayer is how we cultivate our relationship with God. Prayer, prayer if we want to know God, he's talking about God a lot. I mean, it's the Bible, so, you know, talks a lot about God. But this talks a lot about who God is and what God has done for us in Jesus and what does it mean to know God? He prays. So we're going to be looking at this prayer. And I'm sorry I don't have prayer so, or sermon slides. <laughs> I was going to do them this afternoon. But without them, I think we will be okay. The church has survived without sermon slides for a sufficient number of years. So we, <laughs> we will be okay. But what can we, how can we grow in prayer looking at Paul's prayer? first thing we're going to look at is praying to our Father. So verse 14 and 15, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So Paul is saying for this reason, so he's just been laying out all of Ephesians 1 through 2 into chapter 3, and what has he been saying? God loves sinners, God has saved sinners, God has not only saved sinners, but he actually planned to save you in Jesus before anything was spoken into existence, before creation came about, before anything happened, before any uh, impulse of any cellular function of any kind happened, God was thinking, I want to save sinners, I want to save you, and I think more importantly, what is not only is it happening before creation, but God is saying, I want to do it because I love them. Not just because i got a project to do, I'm a bit bored in eternity, things are a bit out of hand, I need to kind of occupy my time in retirement. No, God, God loves to save. That's who, he's a gracious God. And so that's what Paul is dwelling on. Here's God, he's, he's set up this whole plan. 
He has pursued us even before we even had an inkling to pursue God. And he took dead people who were spiritually dead, made them alive, and, and not only just made them alive, but made people who were very different. Very different. So he was specifically in Ephesians 2. He is talking about all these people who are like cultural enemies, all put together in one big family now, and now they've got to be happy about it. But God says, that's the way I work, bro. I put everybody together. They all go together because I love them, and Jesus is the only thing that's going to meld them together. Wherever you're at on the political spectrum, all brought together. Wherever you're at on the economic spectrum, all brought together. Wherever you're at on the skin tonal spectrum, all brought together in Jesus because we love each other, not because everybody's so great. You're going to get to know me. Not so great. You're going to know Jesus. He's great. He's the only thing that brings us together. So Paul then in verse 14 says, for this reason, a God like this, a God who does this, for this reason, I bow my knee to the Father. I bow my knee to pray to this God. If there's a God who could bring me to prayer, it is this type of God who does this type of crazy, redemptive story with all these crazy characters. I mean, if you, when we get to Christmas at some point, we will preach through the genealogy of Jesus, which I know will, at the, at the name of it, just seems to like bore everybody to death. But in the genealogy of Jesus, it's basically like, wrapping up like 14 episodes of Jerry Springer. I don't know if anybody remembers Jerry Springer, but this crazy show with all this crazy history, everybody's just doing crazy things, but that's how we got Jesus. God uses those type of people. Thankfully, we're in good company. It's that type of God that Paul comes to and says, not only is he my God that I'm going to pray to, but he is my father. And that is... The fact that Paul calls him father, that is the differential. That's the thing that makes the Old Testament different from the New Testament. Like, if you're looking for, like, what are the major things that makes the Old Testament different from the New Testament? Same God, old and new. But the difference, New Testament, we're no longer God at a distance. We're now God as our father. We address him as father. Old Testament, God is called our rock, our shepherd, our provider. He is the fountain of living water. He is our shalom, our peace. He is our protection. But in the New Testament, all those things, all those things are wrapped up into this, this one term. He's our father. That's the way Jesus prays to him, right? You look through the Gospels. The disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. He says, okay, our father who art in heaven. I've learned the King James. I'm sorry. <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then when through Jesus' life, praying, my Father, John 17, my Father, on the cross, oh, Father, forgive them. Jesus has a relationship of intimacy with this Father because Jesus' identity is defined by the Father. Everything that's true about the Father is true about the Son. And then, here we have Paul saying, I bow my knees before the Father. We see Paul picking up because in Jesus, everything that's true about Jesus is now true about us. It is ours in Jesus. We no longer have God at a distance. We no longer have God as a mystery. We no longer have God as somebody who kind of flicks us with all these little problems that we have to kind of overcome or these diagnoses that seem to keep bothering us, 
we have a Father who loves us, who cares about us, who protects us and provides for us. And yet I, I think often we think about this. We think about Father. We think about all the examples in our lives uh, from good to bad of the way Father has been misused, abused, neglected, ways in which it hasn't worked out, right? I mean, I love my dad, and I think he's a pretty good guy. He's actually a really good guy, but he's not a perfect father. I don't know what your father's like. I don't know what your experience was like. I'm a dad. I think I'm a decent guy. <laughs> At least I think I do. Him. My son's going to have counseling because of my fathering. <laughs> I'm just investing in his counseling in the days ahead, you know. Uh, it, that's not the way it works. You don't take your association with what the Father is here and then say, okay, my Father, then that must be the way God is. No, see, this whole, this whole book is all about how God the Father has been good to you. He has pursued you. He has provided for you and protected you. He knows the intimate details of what's going on. And I think when it comes to prayer, just like my children interrupt me and tell me the most outlandish and ridiculous things at any hour of the day. <laughs> and I mean any hour of the 24-hour day, <laughs> like 2 a.m. I, at my best moments, respond, tell me what's up, buddy. God, our Father, he's not expecting some great, you know, theologically astute prayer that just comes out of the pen of John Calvin. <laughs> he wants you to come up and say, Dad, I need a glass of milk. Dad, my brother hit me. Dad, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. You understand, the tone of this is dependence, active dependence on God. And guys, I would just say, if you are looking for a book that just captures this, Paul Miller's A Praying Life, boom, just read it, it's good. God is calling us to his presence just to actively, whatever the needs are, day by day, hour by hour. God, I, and that could be anything. I mean, it goes from the big things of like, you know, we're praying for Phil and Pam. God provide us a job. And if you know Pam, uh, Phil and Pam's story, God, would you heal us of cancer? All the way to, God, would you provide a parking spot? Like, it's all on the spectrum of things that your Father in heaven cares about. And he wants you to ask about. God cares for you. He is inviting you. And I think this ra it's radically disorients everything about your life. I mean, if you can imagine between the moment you woke up today to this moment, what are all the needs and cares that you have had? The anxieties, the fears, the struggles, things that have just perplexed you and frustrated you or delighted you and you've enjoyed? All the spectrum, God is asking, tell me about it. Come on, tell me about it. I'm your father. Tell me about it. I want to help. I want to enter in. God, God enjoys your prayers. Have you ever thought about that? That God actually enjoys your prayers. Like God does not just kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess I got to like answer this prayer thing. I, all these people are talking to me. No, God, if he didn't want you to talk, if, if God did not want you talking to him, Ephesians 1 through 3 would not have been written because God would not have pursued you. God wants you to talk. He is eager for you to talk with him, to engage with him. That is what it means to know God 
as your father. And that is what Paul is saying. We, we are coming to God. I am bowing my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Everything, how it's ordered, everything in the world comes from the mind of the Father. He is eager for you to know him. And I think Paul Miller, just a little quote from Paul Miller, I think captures how this engages our daily life. He says, if you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You will always be a little too tired, a little too busy. And if, like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will, not, you will find the time to pray. We will find the time to pray because we realize that time, money, and talent will not solve our problems. Whatever they are, from the moment you woke up to now, all the problems you've faced, time, money, and talent will not solve your problems. But your Father in heaven, who has created everything, who is pursuing you and has pursued you and done everything to make you his son or daughter because of Jesus, without you even asking for it, and because Jesus himself lived a life of prayer. I mean, you're talking about Jesus Christ, right? Like the most perfect man ever, without sin. He could create wine out of water. I mean, talk about showing up to a party with fun. Just grab a bucket of water and you're there. Jesus could do anything he wanted without, any, without blinking. And yet he lived a life of dependence on his father because he knew, I can't do life without my father. Are you depending on time, money, and talent? Or are you depending on God as your Father to provide for you? So let's pick up with Paul, back in verse 16. So we're praying to the Father, and now we are praying for joy. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So here again, Paul does this thing that is in one way very endearing, kind of like... uh, you know, all the idiosyncrasies and weirdness that we all have that is a bit difficult to follow, though. Paul has this long sentence. And you're like, dude, this is a long sentence with all these, like, commas and hyphens and verbs. Like, what's going on in this huge sentence? Um, and I think that Paul, basically what he's saying is, I pray that you experience the love of this great God. He's saying that there's a lot of qualifiers, and it's not because Paul is... Uh, too dumb to say it simply. He's trying to say it in a very comprehensive way, but I think he's just saying, I want you to experience the love of this great God. And he starts out by saying, according to the riches of his glory, because what, what does this riches of his glory mean? I think that all this means, because he's banking, it's basically saying, I'm praying to God the Father that because of his riches, that he would help you experience who he is. And so this riches of God's glory, I think, is just basically saying, this God who says, I'm going to create the world in such a way where mankind is going to fall and reject and disown me and is going to uh, offend me and is going to 
reject me, I'm going to send my son. You know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to save them because I love them, and I'm going to send my son. Even though they haven't asked for it, and though I don't need them, I, w- I love them, and I want them to be my children. So I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my son to take on a body of flesh, that he would die in their place, and then he's going to be raised from the dead so that everything that could possibly be good about the world, everything that could possibly be redeemed about the world, everything that could possibly be given to them is going to come to them because of my son. And I'm going to do it without them asking. That is a rich glory because it's a sort of glory that shows that God is gracious. He loves to give grace to people who don't deserve it. He loves to help people who are weak and selfish because God is gracious and he is eager to help us. And it's this God that Paul is banking his prayer on. And he's praying for them to experience God himself. So he's, you pick up on all this experience language, but I just want to point it out. He is praying for, the, for your inner being in verse 16, verse 17. In your hearts, he wants them to comprehend in verse 18 and verse 19. He wants them to know and be filled. He wants them to know and experience God. He want, it's all this experience language, and I know... Some of you, this whole experience thing is kind of like, eh, like it's a bit mushy, doesn't it? Like it's like all like that heart stuff. Like, <laughs> some of you are criers, some of you are thinkers. But Paul is saying, I'm using my head because I love to know God that my heart might be stuffed with more of God, right? He wants more of God to go from the head to the heart. He takes. It's kind of like... If you imagine your mind is basically like an axe that you go and chop wood for the fire, and then what Paul is saying, I want that firewood to be thrown into the furnace of your heart, that you would take all that good stuff that you know and throw it into your heart, that it would light up a fire to know God and experience God personally. It's great to know God about him, to know lots of these good things, and I think this is just a standard human experience of we we. we know a lot, but we don't feel a lot. We don't experience a lot of God. Um, and we, just, we do this across the board. One of the ways I, I thought about this is um, just imagine with me a, a guy who is interested in a girl. He's like, yeah, I think she's the one. I think she's the girl. I want to get married to her. I'm like, oh yeah, tell me about it. Tells me about like all like, you know, oh, she's like so funny. She is really smart. She's really caring. She goes to Africa to help orphans. She uh, feeds children on the weekends. She is really, uh, she knows her Bible. Man, she's like got like the whole like New Testament memorized. And it's like, man, that's great. Like, but is she pretty? <laughs> like, it gets all like into like all the details of who she is. And I'm like, do you, like, do you dig her? Like, is she pretty? Do you like her? Like that, I'm like, I, do, you, do you enjoy being with her? Is she like, do you feel like more alive when you're with her? Like it's so kind of like into like the trying to justify it. Like, hey, just tell me, like, be real. Do you do you enjoy being with her? Um, I think that's kind of what we're seeing here. Where yes, we can say all these great things doctrinally. Like, what is the doctrine of predestination? What is the doctrine of election? What is the doctrine of adoption? What is the doctrine? You know, blah blah blah. Down the row, I love that stuff. I can do that. We can systematize and chop it up, put it into place. What is God saying about who He is? But what is it? At the end of the day, we are taking that and trying to put it into the furnace because we want to experience this God. We want to know him. 
Not just know about him and be able to say, yeah, he's really great. But to know him, to experience him. He, he says, I want to, I pray to the Father, verse 19, that you might be, that you might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul's talked about a lot of knowledge leading up to this chapter, leading up to this verse. But I want you to know the love that drives that knowledge. I want you to know that love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God so that you would experience God himself. He wants us to know God, to know him, to know his taste. The Psalms talk about taste and see, the God flavor of God, the God, this evocative language. Yeah, the Italian food is great to think about in theory, but man, it tastes good, you know? God is good, and he wants you to know him. That's what Paul is saying. You know, we, we come alive when we know God. He wants us to experience this life with him. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that Paul is saying these things. Look, I want you to know God. I, think it's, I don't think it's a coincidence he's saying it in the context of a prayer. I think he's setting us an example. How do we get this joy in God? How do we know him? How do we experience the love of Christ? It's following Paul's example here. Prayer. Prayer is how we cultivate our relationship with God. It's how we, it's how we grab a hold of his face and know him. It's how we take all these great truths and then turn and know who God is to experience him personally, to to experience what Paul is laying out for us, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So when it comes to prayer, I've thought about this lately. You know, people, I, I'm, I'm so grateful when people want me to pray for them. And I notice about my own prayers, and I notice this at times, the way we ask for prayers. The way we ask for prayers is, would you pray for this circumstance in my life? You pray for whatever the circumstance is, traveling, finding a job. I mean, let's pray for those things. That's great. But, but do we also go to the next level of praying for us to know Christ himself? Like I, I've just started praying, starting my prayers out. And, and to be honest, I'm saying I've started my prayers out like this last week. Okay, so like not like some like monumental amount of time because God is helping me in this area. But I've just started my prayers out. God, I'm, I pray for this would you help them, first of all, just to know, to know Christ's love, love for them? Because I, I want us to pray for the circumstances. I want us to do that. But if you look through the New Testament, we'll do this next week. We're going to look at praying together. We're gonna, if you look through the prayers of the New Testament, the, the church in the book of Acts, being massively persecuted, they, they never pray for the circumstances to change. They pray for prayer. They pray for power to be faithful. And they pray for God to move. I mean, so I think the, the circumstance stuff, let's pray for that stuff. But guys, let's, let's move in a way where we, we pray for people to know the love of Christ. Because only Christ can reveal his love to us. But let's pray for, let's, to know him. So with that said, are you guys tracking with me? Is this, we're cool? All right. We're going to turn now. We've been talking about praying to the Father, Praying for joy, and we're just going to be go to praying in practice, because I really want this this series, this prayer series, for us to be real practical. Because I know, like we were saying up front, 
Uh, I know that when we talk about the, the topic of prayer, it's like, okay, everybody, we're just going to open up a huge bag of guilt. Everybody's going to feel real bad about not praying. Or it's going to be a glimmer of hope, and then you go home, and you're like, how do I do this? What do I do with this? I don't know how to pray. Um, so what we're going to do, we're just going to look at praying in practice. So what we're going to do is I want to I pick up from verse 14 and then jump down to 20, and then I hope kind of talk us through how to think about putting prayer into the practice of our lives. So verse 14, Paul starts out, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And then he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we have here, I think, I think a bit of Paul's pattern in prayer. Because what Paul is doing is he's basically saying, I've said all these great things about God, and now I look at them, I delight in them, I see what they are, and I turn to God in prayer. I, I have what Paul will be saying, Old Testament, looking at Scripture, I'm thinking about it, meditating, and now I'm turning to prayer. So it's this Scripture, meditation, prayer. So he is making this kind of trajectory between this truth of Scripture to praying. And I think we see this pretty frequently in Paul's life. Um, and that's what we want to be looking at. We're looking at what does it look like to pray and practice. And so in the rest of Paul's life, one of the things that comes to mind is when he's converted, this great moment where Paul's, Jesus shows up, Paul's on his way to, to persecute some people. Jesus shows up, says, hey, cut it out. You're going to be my servant. But Paul's response is to say, who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? And I think that's a bit of a pattern for us with prayer. We want to ask, who are you, God? What do you want me to do? And I think we see that here in, in Ephesians 4. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But I think that's, that the pattern is, who are you, God? What do you want me to do? And I think we see that here. So let's just, I just want to kind of show you, who are you, God? What does that mean here? So Paul's saying, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So he's been looking at all these great truths Ephesians 1 through 3. And these are just basically the way the New Testament functions. The New Testament is kind of basically like the cliff notes of the Old Testament. So this is all stuff that Paul is looking at the Old Testament and seeing. Like, God, who are you? You are this amazing God. And so you just, if you want to follow Paul's example, who are you? For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. You just look through, blessed, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So you just say, God, who are you? You pick up verse 3, and it says, God's a happy God who likes to bless people. God, show me more about who you are. God, reveal this to me. God, you are a God. And and just kind of like, I just start ranting on it a bit of like, God, you're a God. You're the Father who makes us your children because of Jesus. And you bless us because you're the type of God who's already, like you're blessed in yourself. God, who, who are you? Oh, you're blessed. Oh, you're blessed and you like to make bless other people and you like to bless other people so that they get their socks blessed off and then they like to know more about your blessing and then they like to go bless other people. You're, you're that type of God that changes people, God? Like, so now, you, you see, you're beginning to step into prayer just by saying, God, who are you? God, who are you? Reveal yourself to me. Psalm 119, verse 18. 
Reveal yourself in your law. God, show me the wonders of who you are in your law to me. God, reveal who you are in your word. Show me wonders in who, of who you are in your word. And so you just want to take, pick up any sort of like passage in scripture. Psalm 23, for example. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or Isaiah 40, again, another passage about God's shepherding. He carries the weak in his hands. God, you're this kind of sh- you're just kind of shepherd. You're this kind of God. You just, you just meditate on it. You dwell on it because of who God is. God, show me who you are. Help me understand who you are. What what is it that is true about you? So does that make sense? We want to be asking God to show us who He is. So you, I would recommend a Psalm 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 19. If you're looking for places to start on this, Psalm 19, Psalm 23, Psalm 27. Psalm 51, Psalm 73, Psalm 119, we want to take the juggernaut of the Psalms, uh, Psalm 145, just all these great Psalms about promises about who God is, who he reveals himself, and just start, God, who are you? Show me who you are. God, in this way, you've asked us to put you to the test, so God, I want you to show me who you are from this passage. Now, as a, one other thing, I just, I'm reminded, I have this up here, so I'm going to mention it now. Tim Kerr is a pastor in Canada at a Sovereign Grace Church. I think one of the like two Sovereign Grace churches in Canada. Um, but he put this book together, and this book is is called "Take Words with You: Scripture Promises and Prayers: A Manual for Intercession." And what he has done is he's basically taken the promises of Scripture and has just categorized them: prayers for faith. Promises for those who trust God. I mean, I'm just looking at three categories. Developing, you know, a motivation for prayer, the glory of God. So he just takes all these promises and scriptures and, and categorizes them. I think there's like 2,000 of them, 2,500 scripture promises. I have a box of them in the back. They're free. Please take one. I want to invest in this area for us. I want us to know God. So, I mean, you can just kind of like randomly open this and just say like, okay, God, I'm just going to, Oh, the Lord, your God, be with you. The Lord, he's with me, the God who created everything. The Lord, your God, he's my God, and he's with me. So you just start asking, God, reveal yourself to me. So take these. These are in the back. I want you to have one. I don't want to have any of these left. I want them to be in your, in your home, in your car, wherever you pray. So we were asking, who is God? So you understand what I'm saying? Just pick up your Bible, open it up. Where are we going to pray? God, just... Show me who you are. And then we, you, you're, from going to that meditation about God, show me who you are, we just turn to prayer. What do you want me to do? God, and so you, you see verse, verse 14, Paul again just says, for this reason, so he's talking about all the meditation he's just showed you, I bow my knees before the Father. So he is responding to this glory of God in a response, like, God, what do you want me to do? God, how do I respond to your glory? Well, one of the ways is to bow. To show, God, you are glorious. God, you, you guys are free to bow, down on your knees, on your face, whatever, during worship. We're going to be charismatics around here. That's totally cool, you know? Like, but bowing before God, God, how do you, when you show yourself to be a good father who forgives my sins, you call me to forgive those who offended me. God, when you have shown me your great mercy... Help me to be somebody who shows mercy to other people. God, when you have shown yourself to be a God who's generous, 
Help me to be generous to other people. God, when you show yourself to be the father to the fatherless, help me to be the father to the fatherless or the mother to the motherless in the city. God, when you forgive my many sins, would you help me to forgive those who, are, who have sinned greatly against me? So you, you see, you're saying, God, who are you? What do you want me to do? It's really simple. Who are you? What do you want me to do? I, I think that this gives us some traction for, for taking time in prayer. So let's just, I just want to ask a few questions. So we've got this great plan. Who are you? What do you want me to do? Any passage of scripture, or you can, you know, this is all scripture basically just reorganized. But who are you? What do you want me to do? Where are we going to do this? And how's it going to happen? Just, I, we, I, I think we have to go in with a bit of a plan, right? Like, how are we going to make all this prayer time happen? Because it seems for Paul that he did this regularly. Because he's saying at the end of this, um, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So to me, this seems like anything that Paul is thinking or asking, he's doing it pretty regularly because he's covering all his bases. I need food. I need provision. I want to see people know Jesus. I need to have this ministry problem. I have you know, these, this family that's in crisis. This church is in crisis, whatever. Anything. Paul's saying, all that I've covered, I got it covered in prayer, I've done it all. So he's got some pattern of prayer, and I think that we have to have some sort of pattern of prayer in our lives. And so it, I, I think we just have to ask, when is this going to happen? For most people, it's going to be the morning, but it's going to be the evening for you. Is it morning or evening? Do you, are you, going to, do you need to wake up earlier, or do you need to just wake up when your alarm goes off? Do you need to do this? Uh, go to work and then do it before you go into work? Do you need to do this over lunch? Do you need to do this after the kids go to bed? Do you need to do this? Uh, when is this going to happen? Like, do you need to work with your spouse to make sure that the kids are managed so you can have some time just to open your Bible and say, God, who are you? What do you want me to do? Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.